We began a sermon series last week talking about the names and the nature of Jesus. If you weren't here last week, you can go back to our YouTube channel or go back to our sermon podcast to pick up that introduction. But each week we'll be looking at one aspect of, of, of Christ's person, Christ's heart, his, his character. Uh, and I'm loosely basing this on a book that my father-in-law gave me a year ago called Awesome, The Names and Nature of Jesus. You don't have to pick up that book, but I'd encourage you to do that. It really blessed my devotional life. It's really helped me to see more of who Jesus is. In fact, in his years of reading the Bible over and over and over again, Dick Eastman, the author of that book, said he came up with, whether it's titles, names, general expressions, but when the scriptures were talking about Jesus in some form or fashion, 800 and 68 names. So I'd like to cover those this morning. (laughs) But each week we'll pick up one or two. What do we see of Jesus? There is so much to see. The late Bible scholar John Stott said it this way, the riches of Christ are unsearchable. Like the earth, they are too vast to explore. Like the sea, too deep to fathom. They are untraceable, inexhaustible, illimitable, inscrutable, and incalculable. Oh, dear friends, there is so much more. And so we began last week looking at Hebrews chapter 3, looking at the supremacy of Christ, the uniqueness of Christ, that he is over all things. And today we're moving further along in the book of Hebrews to chapter 5. Now I'm going to admit something to you, and I joke about this, but our lay leaders give me four passes a year. I have four nerd, tedious sermon passes a year, and I'm already cashing one in in my second sermon of the year. Just keep your Bibles open. There is so much here in this rich text to say who Jesus is, but also of our response. We really want to dig this morning. We're not going to get to all of it, as a matter of fact. And you're going to sense, hey, he skipped over some things. And that's, give me a call. I love to meet with, for coffee over lunch or breakfast to talk more. There is so much here that this author of Hebrews is saying to us about who Jesus is. And I say in this book of Hebrews, if you go to Hebrews 13, 22, it's a book, but really the, his own testimony about this book, the author says this is exhortation. This is, this is a sermon. And so it's, I'm preaching a sermon on a sermon. That's where we are uh, this morning. To see more of who he is. To, to, to hear more that we need to hear like the Christians of that day who many were taking it on the chin. So tell me about Jesus. Or, or some of them, sadly, were beginning to compromise their faith. Some maybe had even begun to walk away from faith. And so the author is saying, don't, don't compromise and, and hold fast. Don't let go. Hold on to Jesus. Hold on to this faith. So we're going to keep going now in, in Hebrews chapter 5. Before, really chapters 3, uh, uh, the earlier chapters had to do with, yes, Jesus, but also the disobedience of God's people. And I'll let you go back to chapters 3, 8 through 11. It's, the author does not pull punches about what the people of God had done. Phrases like, your fathers provoked me. You always went astray. 
You have not known me. And so I swore in my wrath. There's tough words there about the sinfulness of the people of God. But here in this section, we're going to get more about who Jesus is. Yes, we saw last week the supremacy of Christ. This, this, from this section, really, from, from, from uh, uh, four, middle of four on to, to uh, later chapters, you're getting a picture of the priesthood of God, that he's superior as Jesus was superior to the angels and the prophets and even to Moses. We're getting a picture how Jesus' priesthood is superior to Aaron and the other priests. All right? So let's look at verses one through four together. And in this section, we're going to get some comparisons and contrasts, how Jesus is very different from those priests of the Old Testament, but also there's some pictures as well that reminds us how he is like them. Like them, Jesus is called by God, appointed by God to be a, a priest. Uh, like them, it's hard to fathom the mystery of the incarnation, Jesus was us. Yes, fully God, superior, his supremacy, but also fully human. Going back to chapter 2, verse 14. Since therefore the children share flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same Things. Last week we highlighted his divinity. Here we see both, but we certainly see his humanity. And you get to chapter 10 and elsewhere in chapter 4 where we're reminded he's a high priest who can sympathize with our weakness. Chapter 2, 9, he was made lower. Luke 2, 52 talks about how Jesus, Jesus was one of us. He grew in, in stature and wisdom. Philippians 2 says he emptied himself. After service, it, it, we were talking about the incarnation of Christ a few weeks ago during Advent. One of our college students came down and says, what are you talking about? That Jesus grew. Now, there's mystery to that, and we can have coffee over that. But Jesus is not like one of the Buddhas who, came, who was born and came out walking and talking. Philip Yancey, in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew, says, Jesus for us experienced the shocking constraints of humanity. He emptied himself. He became as one of us and experienced it all now when you get to that phrase he learned obedience it's not a moral question jesus always was holy but he grew in that and it shows his full dependence on the father and so he was as one of us you think about what that means for the very son of god to experience the shocking constraints of humanity to know, as the book of Hebrews testifies, what it is to be tempted. To have the devil and the world and the flesh scream at you, run from the will of God. He experienced that. To, to experience loss, as many of us are struggling with that even today. To know that John the Baptist, a family member, a friend, a forerunner, died in the, in the middle of his public ministry. To know that probably, Bible scholars guess, he lost his stepdad, and that's why Joseph's not at the cross. Which means as well that, that probably Jesus knew what it was to be responsible for a business and all the headaches and struggles of that. To know what we go through, to have critics everywhere. To be betrayed, sadly, by close friends. One of the great ministries you and I will have in this culture is actually taking the time to be a friend. If we do what God commands us, we are the very friends of God. How important it is for you and I to take the time, to carve out that time, so that we can be 
a friend to those in need. He knew what it was to be betrayed by friends, to stand up and to stand alone. This, this beautiful picture of him, and I say beautiful because here he is knowing what we go through, his need for others. In the garden, like a 70, saying, please stay awake. I am at the point of death. Would you stay awake with me? That, that need that he had for others. He knew, knew what it was to be angry, to be tired, to be frustrated, and, to be, and what it was to suffer horrifically, and yet always learned obedience. He was always dependent upon God. And here in verse 7, you see some of that sympathizing with us. Loud cries and tears. And maybe that's pointing back to Gethsemane. One of the gospel writers reminding us at that point when Jesus has that cup before him, he's sweating blood. Capillaries are basically bursting over the stress of saying yes to that sacrificial gift for us. He was one of us, still is in glory. There's so many times, not just at Gethsemane, but other times where we find Christ at his tears. We find Christ uh, uh, crying and, and moved with compassion. But just go back a few verses to chapter 4, 15. He sympathizes with us in the sense that he was tempted, but why is he sympathizing? Not just to know us, but I love this reminder, and we'll close with this today, so that we can draw near. Why he went through all of that, so we can draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace in time of help. He is like these priests for us with us, but listen, he's not them. There's a hard contrast here. The scriptures here says they were beset with weakness. If you go to the next verse and you watch their sacrificial practices, it lets us know exactly what beset with weaknesses means. It doesn't just mean they were people and they struggle and they have hardships. It means they had to make a sacrifice for themselves before they could make a sacrifice for somebody else. Why? Because they were sinners. Jesus did not have to make a sacrifice for himself. He is the sacrifice of God. Because he was fully obedient. Because his life was fully God's. They are sinners. Their sacrifices are basically ineffective. Jesus not only sympathizes with us, identifies with us, but the great hope is he made a real and everlasting atonement for us. He is the sacrifice of God for us. It's a beautiful picture here of who Jesus is, that he's in it with you. He loved us enough to be in it with us. And then you see that in 510. You see these, this, this contrasting that, yes, he's like them, but he is not them. And Renee referred to that devotional book. There are three different chapters, two this week and one the next week, called The Names of God, The Obedient Christ, The Spotless Christ, and The Righteous now again, I'm not borrowing a lot from that book, but those are helpful reminders over who Jesus is. You see it here. Yes, he's like the priest, five, verse 5, he's appointed by God. He is God's son, verse 6, he is a priest. But verse 8, this reminder, this glorious reminder of who he is, his heart, his life, verse 8, he is, he was obedient. It's a lot of words for the word obedient. You just get in the uh, the Webster Dictionary, any dictionary, when it says to conform to, to submit, to yield. Um, for, uh, for honest, not just our culture that doesn't like those kinds of limitations. It can be me. Maybe it can be you. To push back on anybody trying to define and to say who we are and what we're uh, to be about. 
And even though we sometimes ask for that kind of leadership, man, I wish my coach would lead me, a, a, a pastor would lead me, a, a parent or a mentor, give me guidance. Let's admit it, there's something in us of the flesh. Well, wait a minute, that's a little too pushy. There was a comedy series last decade uh, set in an office. It was shot as a documentary. And one of the employees was being interviewed by the documentary team because there was a new boss uh, coming in to take over. And they were interviewing this employee, and here's what he says. He admitted that he had gotten away with everything under the last boss. And so he tells the documentary team, I want guidance. I want leadership. And then he pauses. But don't, but don't just boss me around. You know, lead me, but lead me when I'm in the mood to be led. <laughs> Jesus, you don't know how crazy my schedule is right now. Jesus, you don't know that doesn't really fit my friend group, what you're asking me to do. Lead me, but lead me when I'm in the... I'm telling you, I push back. Maybe you sense that. You push back. The people of God, stiff-necked, disobedient. That's what chapters 3 has said. They're always pushing back. You look at Jesus' life. The second person of the Holy Trinity. The one person that could say, all of this. My Father's given it all to me. All is about me. I have supremacy. Watch me yield my life. Watch me submit my life to the Father's will. Watch me obey. It's a wonderful picture. Not just just of his purity and morality, but this picture says something of his heart. This is who he is. You go back to verse 7, and and there's different translations for, for why the Father received the prayers of Jesus. And I love those words. Godly fear, piety, reverence. Maybe your translation says awe. That's why Jesus is awesome, or part of the reason he's awesome, because he has awe before his Father, and he lives for whatever his Father says. And so we come to that, and we see who he is, and we bump into verse 9 that talks about the salvation that we have. It's an eternal salvation because of this high priest, because of what Christ has won for us, but there's a word tacked on there. Those who have this salvation do what? They obey. As Renee reminded us this morning, they do what Jesus has done. Now listen, before we talk about this radical obedience that has to mark every believer's life, let's just take a stop. Partly he's talking to Jewish Christians who love their legalism, and some of us are going to hear this sermon and say, oh, he's just giving me more hoops and more guilt. I love the words here that are brought out as well for Jesus. Quoting one of the three psalms of this passage, he's a son. And he says it again in verse 8, son. It's relational terms. Okay? So when we hear things like obedience, we remember that the, of, 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 of the relationship that we have with God. It's not on us to gut out holiness. But this reminder again, as you've seen it in Jesus' life, fully dependent on God. Led by the Spirit. Filled by the Spirit, says Luke's Gospel. He's always depending on God and in prayer and, and praying to God. It's going to be you. I'm, I'm saying these things so they'll know it's you who sent me. It's you. I'm depending on you. But he is calling us to be different. To live a life of obedience and holiness. I love how 
A.W. Tozer says it. The purpose of, of the sent Christ, the purpose of God, is not just so that we can avoid hell. But the very purpose of God is to make us like Christ. That he loves us that most that he'll say later in Hebrews, I want to save you, but I want to save you to the uttermost. I don't want to just save you for someday, but I love you this much. I'm going to change your heart now. I'm going to change your mind now. I'm going to change your attitude now, and I'm going to change your life now. He has been fully obedient. So as we think through this word in verse 9, how is it? Where is that? Maybe in our hymn, as we sing the hymn this morning, and we hear all those places in our lives, that, we, that can be part of our prayer of saying yes again. Whatever that is, Lord, help me to be obedient here or there. I know it's right there, Lord. I need to be obedient there. And that's what the, actually the word means. So often in Greek, they'll slap a couple of words together so we'll understand it better. I can't pronounce these words. Hypo is the first part of this word. Ben, I almost want to test you. I'm going to say it loudly and confidently, and so you'll believe I actually know what I'm saying. Kuo. I don't know that's how you pronounce it. I just read the Greek. I don't speak it. Under. Hypo. Under. Hearing. We are under hearing. Whatever God says, we are to be under that. That's what obey means. You see example of it in Hebrews 11. I think it's verse 8. Abraham was called by God. He heard the call of God and he obeyed. He went. It's not just, it's not just I love Jesus. I'm for Jesus. I have affections for Jesus. But it, to be a Christ follower, as people who, our verse says, have this eternal salvation, I need to be under hearing. Whatever I hear, I submit to his authority. And again, y'all, and this is, a, this is a tough story, a drastic story, but it's a reminder to us again, our culture pushes back on that. And listen, our flesh is going to push back on that. Henry Blackaby, you've probably, many of us have worked through the, I think it was a workbook, Experiencing God, decades ago. He tells a story in one of his churches. It was Sadly, the first funeral he ever did at that church was for a three-year-old child. And he had visited with that family. It was the first child in that child. It was the first grandchild in that, in that family. And so that child was spoiled. Uh, and he got to visit one time for lunch or a celebration over at the house. But he noticed as, throughout that experience, they would tell that child to sit down. The child would defiantly stand up. And they, nobody said anything else about it. They told that child to do this, and it did the opposite, opposite and, would, and would laugh about it. And he just kind of walked away, thinking, they're setting that child up. And the worst thing all could that could happen happened. When finally, when they really, really meant it and screamed no, the child looked, smiled, and ran through an open gate. So, he learned then, I just want to quote him, and I'm sorry that's drastic, but I want you to hear what he said. As a young pastor, this was a profound lesson for me. I realized I must teach God's people not only to recognize his voice, but to immediately obey his voice when they hear it. And here's the good news. Not only are we gifted in eternal salvation, verse 9, 
But you just see throughout the entirety of Hebrews that God will come and help us, not only to hear, but to act upon, to hear and to be faithful, to hear and to submit. Hebrews 2.10, God who was the author, founder of their salvation, was made perfect through suffering. Why? To bring many sons to glory? Yes, but why else? Verse 11, to sanctify us, to make us like him Self. You get to chapter 7 and the continued talk of Jesus being a, a high priest. And he says he made sacrifice once for all. Yes, but he still ever lives to intercede for us. What's he interceding for? Why is Jesus, who is at the right hand of the Father, what's he interceding about? What does the, uh, the Hebrews say? It's about the everyday stuff we beg him for, yes. About family, about work, about struggles. But Hebrews says it's to save us to the uttermost. That's what's on the, on the mind of Jesus. That's what's in the heart of Jesus. Father, save them an eternal salvation, yes, but I, I want them to be like me. I want them to have my life. I want them to abide with me, to enjoy me, and to know me, and to live like me. It's a beautiful reminder, not just of who he is, but, but we stand in awe of what, what he, he desires to do through us. It's a, it's a reminder as we go through this passage of how critical it is for the, the people of God to live out whatever God said, to be under hearing. And also, and Linda prayed this for us wonderfully this morning. If we really want to matter, church, to this world, we've got to do that. We just have to. They're watching and they're looking. And, and, and if our lives, listen, we're just going to stumble and we're going to have struggles. I got that. But if our lives are not looking like Jesus' life, in their minds, they're just going to write us off and think, and I hate this phrase, but it's a true phrase, what good is Jesus anyway? You believe the right stuff, but he hasn't impacted your attitude, he hasn't impacted your words, he hasn't impacted your life, why would I want to submit to him? What good is he anyway? So what a great gift you and I will give, not just to each other as we encourage each other, as this author is saying, just keep on, hold fast. When you and I live for Jesus, what a word that is to each other, but what a witness and a statement it is to our culture who's desperately looking for people who look like Jesus. That's where the rubber meets the road. Tell me about Jesus all day, but when your life looks like him, when you get pushed but there's grace when, you, when you're frustrated or hurt and yet there's holiness in your life, I want to know about that. That has my eye and my attention. Where is that for us this morning? Where is that? As we think about that's his life, an obedient life, where is it you and I need to look at our own lives, our our thought life, our, our words, our attitudes, our daily life. Lord, where do I need to depend on you for a deeper obedience? And I love, we'll close with this. I love Brother Lawrence. Many of you have read his books, uh, Practicing the Presence of God, Abiding with God All Day Long. But I love this little prayer of his. This, may this be our prayer. Whenever, wherever, however you want me, I'll go. And I'll begin this very minute. Will you consider this prayer a step toward complete obedience to you? Whenever, wherever, however. Our closing hymn is 399, Take My Life. Let's stand together as we respond and as we sing.